0: good morning everybody it's great to be here with everyone and you know I I might as well get this part out of the way uh no I'm just kidding uh if you are a father stepfather or mentor and you are male we just want to say happy father's day to you thank you for all you do can we give it up for the dads uh Yes, welcome, welcome. Also, if you're new, uh, me and Mark, Mark is running around right now out there, would love to get to know you. We will be in the lobby right after service. We want to get to know you. And to make you feel even better, this is like my third week here uh, on staff, and they were like, you know what, let's throw this guy up on Father's Day. Yeah, that's a great idea. So... Oh, thank you, thank you. We are expecting me and my wife, so it's kind of like one of those like, do we celebrate or not? So they were like, you know what, let's celebrate by throwing him up there. Uh, If you're online, thanks for joining us. Happy Father's Day. We've been in a series, guys, uh, for the last two weeks that we're entering into for the entire summer. So if you don't like series, I'm sorry, you're going to be here for a while with the the same, uh, you know, slide that looks just like that. Uh, We are in a sermon series called The Upper Room. It is this time where Jesus is with his disciples right before he goes to the cross. And the cool thing about the Upper Room Discourse is it takes place over multiple books in the Bible. Or not books, chapters, my bad. Uh, John 13 through 17. And it's this beautiful piece where Jesus just maps together what's going to happen to him, but also what he's calling the disciples to. And so two weeks ago, we heard how Jesus began this time by washing the feet of his disciples. An act of humility right before having a meal because back then all they did was wear Tevas or Birkenstocks and that's it. And there weren't paved roads, so it was gross. And Jesus washed the feet. And then last week we walked through the betrayal of Judas and the denial of Peter. And we kind of talked about how we're truly honest with one another. We got a little Peter and Judas inside of us. And we are very similar to them. And so this morning, I want to invite you back to that room as if we are truly sitting looking at Jesus about to talk these words to us. I think it's a very powerful form of imagery if we truly believe that Jesus is sitting right there in front of us. And so we're going to be in John 13, John 13:31, 13, and we're going 31 through 35. But before we enter into scripture, let's pray. So God, as we open your word and as we prepare our hearts for the message today, I pray that your truth would ring true. That nothing I say would be from me, but it would all be about you and everything you have for us today. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. The beautiful part about these six verses we're going to look at today is that Jesus maps out what's going to happen in the next couple of chapters. So if you don't like what you hear today, don't come for the rest of the summer. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Don't do that. Don't do that. But in these six verses, Jesus walks through how he's going to be glorified and how he's going to glorify God. But how to do that, he has to leave his disciples, And so then Jesus gives this new command. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself, so I don't want to give too much away yet. So let's jump in to what Jesus actually says. So John 13, 31 through 32 says this. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. The he that is represented here that's going out is Judas. And so there's this picture of Judas leaving and Jesus, you know, beginning to say these very words. And if you're like me, you grew up in the church You hear the word glorified and glory and you're like, oh yeah, that's just one of those Christianese words that we just throw around all the time. But to be honest, we don't really know what it means. We just sit there and we're like, I think I know what this means. I think this is important. I mean, Jesus glorified God and we're supposed to do the same thing, so it's really important. So I thought, you know what, why not? Uh, I'm a philosophy major, I think in questions. Why not answer the question, what does it mean to be glorified? Like, what does that even truly mean? Why would Jesus talk about it here? Well, I'm really happy you asked me that question because then I get to talk. So to be glorified means to be revealed in such a way that's thought to be good. Simple enough. Another way to say that is that it means to be vindicated in the eyes of all witnesses. So what is Jesus actually saying here? He is saying that he is going to be glorified because of what he has said, who he is, and what he is going to do. And he wants to be vindicated in the eyes of all witnesses, all of humanity. And so to be glorified, he is answering the question of what it is, but how does he do it? Okay, what, how, how. Don't worry, we'll get to why, but we're at these two first. How does he do it? Well, Jesus answers that in John seventeen four, but we are not going to look at it because that's going to be a sermon for a future date over the summer. So I'm just going to give you the basic answer. And the basic answer is that Jesus glorified God by finishing the work God asked him to do. And spoiler alert, that's what we're asked to do. That's how we glorify God is by doing what God asked us to do. So then why? Why is glorification so important? Why does Jesus spend this time to explain it to his disciples? Because God's splendor is on display in the perfect obedience of the Son. God's glory is on display in the life. Death, resurrection, and exaltation of Jesus. That is how he glorifies God. That is why he glorified God. And in this same event, Jesus is also glorified. I wish I had time to explain the words, Son of Man, but if you can just trust me on this one, what it means basically is that God is referencing, or Jesus is referencing a term of suffering. He calls himself the son of man, and that's actually a term of suffering. And so here in this verse, he's explaining that in order to be glorified or even to show glory or do something that glorifies God, there might be a form of suffering that's involved. And so here in this verse, glory and suffering are combined. And so here, it's pretty obvious, right? Like to us reading it, we're like, "Oh, okay, Jesus is talking about his death. But the disciples aren't like, it's not that they're dumb. They just don't get it. They're like, okay, cool, uh, this means it's like glorification, great. But Jesus takes it a step further in the next verse. In John 13:33, Jesus says, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. right here in these first three verses, Jesus is explicitly telling us about his impending death. And some of us, if you're like me, get caught on the first two words of this entire verse, little children. Like Jesus, those are fighting terms. You're calling me a little kid? Come on now, I'm old, right? I mean, we're all feeling it. But the cool part about being able to study these verses and try to be able to speak it to you is you get to understand the context of when the scripture was written. When Jesus says little children, it's not an insult at all. It's actually a form of being like, hey, I have affection for you. I love you, but I have some bad news. That's literally how he is saying this to them. So even as he's trying to explain to them his impending doom, he's showing love to them. And I love this passage and the first three verses of it because it's as if Jesus is like, hey, you know what, I'm going to die and I'm leaving you. But, but, I want to leave you a new command. And this is what happens for the rest of this discourse. Jesus begins to tell the disciples about what to do while he is gone. And that is the theme for the rest of the discourse. And so the very next verse that we're seeing, it says a new command to begin because Jesus wanted them to get this principle. So John 13, 34 says, a new command I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. The beautiful part about Jesus saying, A new command I give, is that Jesus is telling us about his nature. Because to give a new command means you have to be God. And that's amazing. He says it right there that he is God. And I know what some of you guys are thinking, because like I said, I'm kind of a Bible geek you're like, uh, is this really a new command? Like, come on now. He tells us to love all over the place in here. And if you read the first half of this book, there's a couple commands about love. Love God, love your neighbor. That seems to encompass this verse. It's not actually new. Well, yeah, you're kind of right, but you're kind of wrong. The truth is that this verse doesn't replace the old verses. It doesn't replace the old commands. It's an addition to them. It's as if he's saying, hey, like, I've taught on these forms of love, but guess what? We're actually missing one. We need to add this in. And it's important to get that because the reason Jesus says this is also because in the Old Testament, Jesus was present, but he wasn't physically there. We didn't have his physical presence here on earth yet. And yet when he says this verse, he's saying it in the flesh. And he wants them to know that he is the example that they need to follow when they do this form of love. So Jesus is the perfect example for this. But the truth is, I I have a feeling that we don't truly know what love is. Like we, we read this and we're like, oh, okay, like he's calling us to love one another. And we think all the commands are the same because we don't truly know what love is. And I believe love has blinded us as a culture. And as cheesy as this is, every single time I say love has blinded us, I think of Star Wars. Hey, yeah, that's fine, you can laugh. Uh, I like Star Wars too, I know. Uh, but there is a quote from the third movie, and if you know anything about Star Wars, uh, the prequel's writing dialogue was absolutely terrible. Just terrible but the third movie is about anakin skywalker this you know jedi who has all this prestige and is this great swordsman and like man he's meant to be the future he's meant to save everyone and yet he you know formed an attachment which you're not supposed to do as a jedi he got married you're not supposed to do that as a jedi he's having a baby not supposed to do that as a Jedi. And him and his wife are sitting there looking at each other. Probably shouldn't be doing that either. He's a Jedi. Um, And they're having this dialogue. And as cheesy as this line is, it hits me every single time she says it. And I kind of laugh. She like turns around and he says something about like, oh, the Jedi order is dumb. And she's like, "Ah, love has blinded you. And it's like just out of nowhere and so cheesy. But I love the quote. Because I believe love has blinded us. And just like him, he thinks that she's saying that in a way of like, yes, my love for you has blinded me. But if you actually watch the rest of the movies, all of them, it's not his love for her that has destroyed his life. It's his love of power. It's his love of self. He thinks he can do something about it. He thinks that he is all powerful. And that is what destroys him. And if we're honest with one another, we think that's the same thing about love. We get married because, you know, like we think, hey, you know, this person might do stuff for me. And like, hey, like family. Woo. Great. But the truth is you're going to sacrifice if you get married. See, we think love is this take, 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 give me, give me type of thing. But the truth is Jesus is like, that is not love. That's not authentic, pure love. And this is important to Jesus. Did you know that in John 1 through 12, love is only mentioned 12 times, just 12. But in John 13 through 21, we find love 44 times. 44. It's almost as if Jesus is trying to tell us, hey, guess what? This is important and we should pay attention. Yes, Jesus did also teach to love God, love your neighbor, love your enemy, and this verse does not contradict those. It's actually a call to something greater. And Jesus is calling us to this love that's called agape. And agape love is an authentic love, a love that is unconditional, unselfish, and unlimited. A love that seeks the highest, greatest good for another. It is a love that is expressed only through action. And it's the love that Jesus put on display during his time here on earth. And that is why Jesus says, I am the example to follow. See, Jesus came to earth to die for us. He lived the only perfect God-honoring life that has ever touched the surface of this earth. Yes, he was fully God and fully human, but we need to focus on that fully human part because he relates to us in a way that we don't truly understand. And if you're confused about that fully God and fully human thing, ask Mark after church. So he, he's, he's just brilliant, all right? All right. But Jesus' life was a love story. It really was. And it's not the love story that we think. It's not like How I Met Your Mother or, you know, like New Girl or anything like that. You don't know those shows good. But anyway, uh, it's a love story about everyone else. Everyone else. You can't help but read the Gospels and realize that, man, Jesus loved people so much, he would stop. He didn't care what was going on with his time. If he saw somebody hurting, he would walk over and heal them. He healed people. He corrected people. He taught them. He guided them. He cleaned them. And his kind of love ultimately led him to die for us. And the fullness of this command mentioned in Don, John thirteen thirty four, is put on full display when we sacrifice something in our lives. And to be honest, it's easier to do this form of love where you're willing to sacrifice, where you're willing to die to yourself when you know you are truly loved. And so if you don't know that today, I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart and from the God who created the universe who is allowing us to be here today, you are loved. Jesus loves you. God loves you. This is the example that he has set before us is a sacrificial love that we can step into and love one another. That says, I'm going to die to my pride. I'm going to die to my, comp- like com- ugh, sorry, words. Time, our position, our politics. And now don't hear me saying, okay, you know, after church, Nathan told me I need to put myself in a situation where I could die. No, I'm not saying that. Don't be dumb. <laughs> put yourselves in situations that you can love somebody. Where you're seeking the greatest good for another person. Put what you want on hold so you can push somebody else's dreams forward. Now, I might get in trouble in church. I didn't in first service, so I highly doubt I'll get in trouble for this in right now. But like I told you, I love philosophy. And there's somebody who didn't really live like a, a great life, but I honestly think he was brilliant. I think he said so many key phrases and had so many hit songs um, so the great philosopher, uh, Bob Marley once said, the truth is everyone is going to hurt you. You just got to find the ones we're suffering for. Now, whether you agree with Bob Marley's lifestyle or anything like that, you got to agree with this quote because that's the life we are called to is to find people we are willing to suffer for and suffer to love them. And in the upper room, this is the love that Jesus is calling us to, to truly seek the greatest thing for another person, to put ourselves on hold and love people so much that God's grace is on display. Now, I'm not also saying this because I think that as our culture not only gets love messed up and makes it about them, they also make it about just saying like, well, I love you, so you do whatever you want. That is not what I'm saying. This is a call to believers to love one another. So there are times, like I said, Jesus did this in love where we need to correct one another, where we need to sit down and say, hey, You made this mistake, but guess what? I love you, and I want to walk through this with you. Because if you do that, you are sacrificing. You're sacrificing your pride. You're sacrificing, man, I don't know how this person's going to receive it. Man, I might lose this friendship. But guess what? God's call is greater. And like I said, when you know you are truly loved by Jesus, these things get much easier. But that doesn't mean that they're just easy. They do get easier And it's important to note, too, not only does Jesus love you, but he's calling you to do this for a purpose. It's not like Jesus is a jerk who's just like, all right, love this way, sacrifice everything, peace. No, that's not what he's doing. And that's why in the very last verse we're going to look at today, he explains the purpose for what he is doing. So in John 13, 35, Jesus says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Wow. Another way this could be put is, uh, by this, you will prove to be my disciples and everyone will know it. Or, by this, you will become my disciples and everyone will know it. The cool thing about trying to translate it is that that last phrase really stands out. And everyone will know it. See, Jesus is reinforcing this love command with a call to show the world his love. And a call that says, hey, if you actually love this way, people will know that you are mine. I mean, if we want to change this world, right, we want to show them who God is. We want to show them who Jesus is. And this is it. It's simple. The way we love one another shows who God is. Do you want to change your neighborhood? I mean, that's why we do gospel communities, right? How you love one another in your gospel communities can change your neighborhood. Because they will see the love of God and go, man, I... I should be a part of that. And I mean, honestly, guys, like if you think about it, if we love one another and we're a community of love that shows the authentic grace, love and mercy of God, everyone would want to join it. Everyone. But if we're also honest and you walked into church this morning and you saw me and Mark throwing chairs at one another and screaming at one another Either you're crazy and you want to say because it looks fun, or two, you'd be like, oh my gosh, this church, I'm done. Like, I'm out. Nobody wants to be in a community where there isn't love or authenticity. And this is what Jesus is saying, is if you love one another this way, if you truly love one another and seek the greatest good for one another, people will know you are mine. And as I was doing my study for this, I came across this quote in a commentary, and I was like, wow, this is brilliant. It says, To love is no longer about our preferences or desires, but about the glory of God and how this specific decision will reflect upon our Lord and accomplish his desires. How beautiful is that? And yet... If we're honest, this last year hasn't looked like this at all. If we sit here, we could truly think of churches that attacked other churches. If we sit here, we could think of neighborhoods destroyed over bias, families destroyed over politics. And that's what's happened over this last year. And yet, this has been around for a lot longer than the last year. I don't think we get it yet. And that's why Jesus is like, gosh, like just love one another. <laughs> Despite your political views, ethnicities, and cultures, just love one another. Because that's how people will know you are mine. And that's how you change the world. It's not through doctrine. It's not through anything like that. It's through loving one another. That is how we change the world. That's how we have people come to Jesus is through love. And there's an amazing song we're about to sing. It's one of my favorite, favorite songs called Build My Life. And many of these verses, I believe, tie to the message today. Because if Jesus really is the name above all names, then we need to be willing to lay our pride aside to love our neighbor. Because if we're willing to sing, Jesus is the name above all names, we need to be the hands and feet of Jesus willing to get down and wash the feet of others. And so as the worship band comes up and we close, I wanna leave you with a question. And I know I've asked a lot of questions. Uh, Like I said, I was a philosophy major. I think and write in questions. So when I was writing this, I would actually write the questions first. And I kept coming back to this question over and over again as I was trying to conclude the message. So here's the last question for you guys today. What is it you need to let go of so you can love those around you? What is it that you need to let go of so you can love those around you? Because Jesus was willing to let go of his life so you can experience his love, forgiveness, and freedom. And that freedom and forgiveness are available for you today. But you got to answer this question. So, what is it that you need to let go of so you can love those around you? God, as we head into a time of worship, I pray that this question would resonate with us. That we would be a community that seeks your love over anything else, God that we would be a community here at Creekside that people come to and go, wow, God's love is on display in this place. God, I pray that we would never forget this command, that we would hold it close and write it on our hearts. Amen.